0: take their soul to the next level and I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best-selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or or any of the companies they represent. Have you ever wondered what dreams mean for you? Are they messages from the other side? Are they your subconscious try to work things out to help you deal with trauma or stress? Well, today's guest is here to help answer those questions. We have on the show, Linda Schiller, and she is an expert in dreams and has been doing it for over four decades. She is a mind, body, and spiritual psychotherapist, consultant, author, and international teachers. She facilitates group dream circles and provides individual and group consultations and trains professionals on working with dreams. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Linda Schiller. How are you doing, Linda?
1: Hi, I'm good. Thank you. How are you, Alex?
0: I'm very good. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. I pre- really appreciate it. I'm in, excited to talk about uh, your new book, uh, PTS Dreams and DreamWork and how to decode the soul's wisdom mm. and all sorts of interesting things that in the work that you do. But my first question to you is, when did you start your spiritual journey?
1: Mm. I think you're the first person who asked me that. Maybe at all, and certainly as a first question. Um, so, bravo! Um, I probably started my spiritual journey as a child. Actually, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have called it that then, but I was always tuned in to uncanny ways of knowing and connecting with things. Mm-hmm. Even as a uh, probably a, like a preteen, I became aware of it. And then as a teen and young adult, I was involved in a youth group that was uh, connected me with what we used to call creative services. And uh, so it wasn't traditional style um, services through the youth group. And I got very, very connected um, with that. And when I went, when I was in college, so there was one summer between my freshman and sophomore year that I went to Israel um, with a group. And I think I just sort of fell in love with the land and the spirit, and the desert started to speak to me. So, sort of since then, really, um, through my college years and beyond, I've been connected with a spiritual journey at many, many different levels. Um, Ranging from, I was brought up Jewish, but explored a wide variety of different ways of being spiritual in the world, and have connected with indigenous religious practices and shamanic practices and druidic practices and a variety of Eastern and Western religions. So I really have come to embrace a pan-spiritual approach in my life and in my work.
0: And speaking of your work, what is dream work? I've never heard that term. I've kind of, I might've heard that phrase passed along here and there, but what exactly is dream work?
1: Dream work is the phrase that we use now to, if you just sort of unpack the word, to, to work with dreams, sort of in, in the old days and in very traditional um, psychoanalytic circles, they still talk about dream interpretation. We, we, in sort of modern dream work parlance do not interpret your dreams or anyone else's. Rather, we, we guide, we ask questions, we explore, we help you to find what the ultimate meaning of the dream is for you, or I should say the ultimate meanings because any dream can have multiple layers of meaning and truth that are simultaneously true. So it's sort of a, modern parlance that we have adopted through the international association for the study of dreams iasd which is the member organization that i've been involved in for some 20 30 years
0: so it's always fascinated me i mean dreams have been something that we all as a species do it is uh, every every human being on the planet dreams Right. at one point or another and there's been very many theories in regards to why we dream some say that we're working out subconsciously the stuff that we have to work out subconsciously kind of manifests themselves into dreams others on the more spiritual side is that that the universe uh, you know whatever on the other side is trying to guide us with it warn us help us uh, you know even relatives that pop up in your dreams are just there to kind of just say hey it's going to be okay, uh, kind of vibe. Where does, in, in your work, where do you land, or do you do a little bit of all of that?
1: So yes, the answer is like D, all of the above. Mm-hmm. So some dreams come through to indicate that, well, let me differentiate also between dreams and nightmares, because yeah, that was my next question.
0: I was like, why do we nightmare? Why do we have nightmares?
1: Yeah, so we'll, we'll put that one on hold then, and just in terms of dreams. Dreams can be true and have meaning for us at many, many layers. One is sometimes we're reacting to something that happened in our immediate environment or something that happened yesterday. I'll give you an example of that. One time I was dreaming that I was in an earthquake and this was an unusual dream for me. I don't usually have dreams of natural disasters, but it was very, very vivid and real. And as I woke up, I realized, oh, there was a jackhammer digging up the street outside the window of my bedroom. And they, that's why I had dreamt of an earthquake. So sometimes, literally, something happening in your environment can influence um, your dream. So that's one thing. Um, and the other thing that you're alluding to is that we have things that happen to us that day, the day before, during the week, during the month, that we're processing. And our unconscious in its wisdom sort of gives us information that we either couldn't figure out or didn't have time for or are confused about that we need to do some more processing with other parts of our being. Um, If we didn't have time during the day, it'll come and give us some information at night. And sometimes our dreams are lovely. They're fun, they're exciting. We can fly, they're sexy, they're enjoyable. And those dreams, we just usually say, wow, this was really cool. Or sometimes if we're working with someone or if we're talking about our dreams, we might say, wow, that was really cool. And what does it mean? Or what is the meaning for me? But it's not giving us distress. The dreams that cause us distress are the ones that we call nightmares. And the dreams that have difficult emotions, where we wake up with fear, with anxiety, with panic, with anger. Those are often more something has happened in our lives, particularly if they're repetitive dreams that we haven't been able to fully process and our unconscious is saying SOS. There's something else here that you haven't yet paid enough attention to and that you need to work through and resolve and we're giving you an opportunity if you don't ignore it.
0: So there was, a, it was an interesting dream I had a, a little while ago, and and, and that's another thing, it's like what dreams you remember. We'll talk about how you remember dreams and certain things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, there are dreams that I remember from a kid because they had an emotional impact on me. The more mm-hmm. more emotional you are about the dream, uh, the more impact it has, a better chance of it has sticking around. And one one dream I had a little while ago, which was <laughs> somewhat terrifying, but yet it wasn't, oh. it was, I was about three days away from going on a plane trip. In and real In real day. life, in real yeah. life. In real life, I was going on a plane trip in three days. And then I had a dream where I was on, the, on a cliff looking over Los Angeles. And this giant 747 flies over me, makes a U-turn, crashes into the city. It's such a monstrous, and it starts coming towards me. And then I, and it never hits me or anything. And that was it. And I woke up, I was like, well, that's not good jumping on a plane tomorrow in like two days. Like that's, that's, that's kind of, and I, after doing more kind of soul searching, I came to realize that that dream was telling me that there was an urgency that I needed to launch a project that I was working on and time was of the essence. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I, that's the way I kind of interpreted that dream from mm. it, because obviously I flew, I was fine, I wasn't terrified or anything like that. I didn't have any ebgb walking onto the plane or anything. So I kind of look okay. back and go, okay, this makes this makes sense to me. But it was how those messages come through from mm-hmm. either spirit, from uh, your own subconscious, whatever that is, right, is really interesting in the. And the metaphors that are used—it's yeah. never straightforward. And I always wondered about that, even from your from your experience in working with dreams. Why are these metaphors sometimes so difficult to interpret? And it's not just saying somebody's sitting there going, "Dude, you got to launch this project tomorrow." It, there's urgency. <laughs> like why isn't like something is straightforward, but it's never straightforward. The 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 tiger in the room never is about a tiger in the room. The plane crashing is generally never about the plane crash. What's your right. what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I want to answer your question. And in doing so, it might be helpful because you did sort of an amazing job. Oh, my cat is getting very excited over here. Carrying <laughs> up the rug. Um You did an amazing job sort of figuring out what the message for your dream was. And on the surface, because I don't know you or anything really about you or what your project was, I can't see from over here how you got from your dream to understanding the message. Mm. If you can, if you're, maybe you don't want to, maybe it's private, um, but if you can connect the dots for us, then I can explain using your example, the nature of of metaphor and symbol.
0: I think that, for me, at least, there was uh the 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 this giant uh airplane that was crashing and then moving towards me aha uh-huh. it was it wasn't like a plane crash. it was a turn it turned around it flew right over me, turned around. I see it so clearly in my head.
1: Mm-hmm. it
0: crashed, but it was it was almost like a cartoonish mm-hmm. crash in the sense that l a you know if you've ever seen those images of l a off from the off from the hills that you know, you just see the city in this landscape, a jumbo plane wouldn't be the size of King Kong or probably like five King Kongs Mm -hmm. coming towards me. So it's an exaggerated image. Mm
1: -hmm. And the
0: plane is coming towards me while it's being like kind of dragging across the city of Los Angeles where I was living at the time. So it was coming towards me, but then it stopped or either I woke up or it stopped before it, it actually got to me. So there was no danger but there was a urgency uh-huh. that and that's where I kind of connected it. And also, I have to say, when you're interpreting stuff like that, and I am not the best at it with my own dreams. But a lot of it comes from instinct, from a, a spiritual place where I mm-hmm. wouldn't, it's not analytical 100%. I mean, dreams are generally not analytical <laughs> it in in right. by by its nature so that's how i kind of connected that dream like, but i had another dream when i was a child and i've told this on the show before because it was just such a fascinating dream it was a little bit of lucid dreaming when i did mm. it i was a child living in an apartment in florida someone knocked on the door of our apartment i opened it up and there was this large large man shadowy. couldn't see his face in a trench coat and then i said wait a minute this is my dream and i went to kick him in the balls and he blocked me and i said i'm out of here and that was the end of it i was probably like 13 or 12 or something like that mm-hmm. what that meant at that time i have no idea but i was also 13 mm-hmm. and even going back i couldn't even comprehend what i could connect the dots there but these are certain dreams that i do remember sure. and connect but that 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 plane dream was probably a year year and a half ago two years ago
1: so you gave me some information that helps me understand how you connected the dots. So first of all, you were living in LA, which you know I didn't know that you were living there. So it was relevant to your, your current life at the time. I don't know if you're still there or not, no. but um, it was something and it wasn't scary. It was sort of almost cartoonish, you said, but what you took, what you said is that it was instinct, and from a spiritual place, and you just kind of had a gut reaction about this is what it means. Um, Those are really, really good ways to go with unpacking or understanding a dream, those instincts, Mm -hmm. those spiritual connections, and what we call in focusing a form of um, somatic therapy, a felt sense, you had a felt sense in your body. Because when you got it, and you said, Oh, this is the message, you knew it. Right, like in your bones.
0: And right, that- it, it's an instinct. It's 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 a gut reaction. It's intuition, but it it a deeper level than than I, I don't know in a deeper level because you're in this kind of nebulous world of of a dream. I mean, it's dream. It's a dreamscape. I mean, dreamscapes by nature are kind of you can't grab on to anything. So it, it really is truly uh, an instinct uh, that that I went through.
1: Right. So what you took especially from this was that something really, really big was right. heading towards you and, and it had a change direction in order to be heading toward you. And that is, was the main point, it sounds like, of the dream. Mm-hmm. I can't escape this. I can't avoid it. It's heading toward me. It's where I live right now. So at an unconscious level, maybe you were thinking, what in my life is heading toward me that I really can't avoid? I really have to deal with this. And you figured out, oh, there's this big project. I can't put it off. Oh, and, gotta I, be
0: and I can tell you what the project was. It was. And you talk about a redirection. It was this show, launching the show.
1: Oh, okay. And this was a
0: very big project at the time, but I had, I had right. two to three weeks from the moment I decided to launch it, to actually launch it, to build everything from scratch, get guests, do everything I did. I did it in a three-week period to launch the show. I mean, I have you know I've got six years prior of, of experience at you know interviewing and doing podcasts. So I, I had the skill set to do it, but it was still very big. And it was also scary for me because I was jumping into an arena that I had not ever jumped into, which is the spirituality world, personal growth world, health mm. world, what I talk about on mm. this show. And mm-hmm. I was scared and I didn't want to I was I was tiptoeing and the universe or the other side or spirit was telling me, you better hurry up. You got to get, and it was Easter. I I launched on Easter, Easter Sunday. So that was when
1: there's a resurrection, right? Of of something. So you were needing to resurrect this part of you and your unconscious said, dude, right, right now, you can't wait, you know, get, get with the program. And what I love is that you were changing course. In your life, and your yep. work, and you were moving. Here's the metaphor, which is often a pun. You were moving on to another plane of mm-hmm. your work. Mm-hmm. So there was the plane in your dream.
0: Liter- literally, another plane of, ex- of, of of evolution, if you will.
1: Yeah.
0: No, so, so it's but as it, it, you can see, it, there's so many layers to what. Just this little example that I kind of tossed out there. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. so many layers to what was going on, and. I mean, I've been in dreams that where I'm afraid. I mean, we all have, sure. I think, at one point or another. But there was no fear at all. I mean, there's a giant plane hurling towards me, and I wasn't afraid of it. So that said something to me. And, and this, I mean, and I have many dreams that I can recall. Uh, I wrote, I, re, I write down dreams every once in a while when I need to kind of recall them later, just to kind of analyze them and see. But I take my dreams very seriously because I do truly mm. believe it's messages trying to get through. To talk to you, to try to guide you through through life in many ways, and it's I think it's a little bit of everything. Because sometimes I'll watch a a, you know let's say a violent movie on TV, and Mm. that night I'm like, there's guns (laughs) in my dreams. My wife was like one day watched Family Guy years ago, and she woke she had a dream like I'm never watching Family Guy again. I woke up with Peter in my dream laughing. I couldn't take it anymore. things like that. But so those things do happen. But I think it's such an interesting subject matter, because it isn't just the one thing. It's a bunch of different things that happen. When you dream, you process things, you emotionally process things. It's a SOS for some things for you to look at. It's urgencies, Mm -hmm. it's spiritual messages, it's messages from your relatives, and and people Mm -hmm. who have passed on. I mean, I had I had a dream, I was going through an extremely, extremely stressful time in my life. When I moved from Los Angeles to Austin, it was arguably one of the most stressful times in my life. And I was just literally breaking down and had a dream Mm. where my grandma just showed up and just, Mm. just stroked my back. And I just was like, Oh, that's, and I don't dream with my grandma. Like it's not my, she's passed, she passed many, many years ago, but she just showed up and was just stroking my back and just like, kind of the feeling like it's going to be okay and so th- though from just my own personal experience of life experience working with dreams these are the things that kind of it's just so fascinating to me we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I completely agree with you that our dreams can be about things that we experience or happen in our lives they can give us an opportunity also to connect with and peek around the corners of time and space and among other things we can have dreams about a departed relative and the dreams about a departed relative are different qualitatively and emotionally from a visit or a visitation mm-hmm from a departed relative. And depending on your worldview or your your listener's worldview, um, most religious and spiritual traditions have some sort of connection with, yeah, when our relatives pass, they can still be in touch with us if we're open to and and want to be in touch with them. And, And one of the things that differentiates between a dream about a relative or a visit from the relative is that vividness and that sense that they're right here with me I can smell them I can Mm -hmm. smell their perfume I can feel their hands stroking my back I can when my dad visits and he talks to me I can hear the like the timber of his voice just the way he talked um clearly as if he was in the room right now so with
0: from all your research and your work you've you you said earlier that you've studied and worked with many different, uh, kinds of people around the world from kind of Aborigine and, and, and shamanistic and mm-hmm. all these kinds of things, there seems to be a common thread throughout all cultures and, and spiritual practices about dreams. What do you see different from, if there is any differences between mm. the different kind of, uh, you know, cultures, uh, spiritual practices, um, people uh that have things because i mean i mean, the aborigine i mean famously talk about the dreamscape and, and their experience in the dreamscape um the, just the walkabout alone is right. very very spiritual and i'm not sure how much and then you get into the and then you start getting into ayahuasca and that's a whole other conversation <laughs> uh, right. because it's a whole other and and, and uh, all that all that psychedelic stuff so just from your experience and your studies what, mm-hmm. what are the differences you see
1: in cultures that are, that live closer to the land, and that have a sense that all is, and I'm going to use the g word, right, all is God. The the stones are God, the trees are God, the sky is God, you are God. Cultures that hold that more closely, I think, don't differentiate as much between the spiritual world and the non-spiritual world, because it's all part of Gaia, right? It's all part of the allness of, of, of awareness. So, Native Australian Aboriginal culture, the, the world was dreamed into being, literally. Right. It's called the dream time. In Native American cultures, the, the most revered people in the cultures are the, are the shamans. And how do you get to be, if you will, a shaman? The people who are the strongest dreamers are the ones who are the shamans. And the people who have an ability in many, many cultures to do some peeking around the corners of time and space and are able to connect with prophetic dreams are revered and honored. So at one point in time, sort of pre-industrial, pre-modern times, this was much more common in all of our ancestral histories. And if we go back to the Judeo-Christian Bible, it's full of strong, powerful dreamers. And as a matter of fact, the word in Hebrew for dream is chalom, and it's the same word as vision. So you have to read the context of the story when you're reading in Hebrew to know if the chalom they're talking about is a nighttime dream or a daytime vision, because the text does not differentiate between the two in our more modern postmodern world, I think we pay less attention to our dreams. We don't respect them as much. Science has become elevated to a place where if you can't prove it in an experiment in a lab, it doesn't exist. And believe me, I am a big fan of science. Thank God for science and thank God for modern medicine. And I don't think that's the only answer. So I think as we are moving into... uh, time, we we hope, we were integrating Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy, modern medical advances, um, ancient knowledge from our ancestors. If we honor the dream more, we will remember it more. If we think it's important, we will remember it more. If we pay attention to what are the messages coming from either inside or outside ourselves that come through in the dream, then we will have another source of wisdom. Um, in addition to what our left brain can give
0: us. It's really interesting because I've had a lot of neuroscientists and scientific minds on the show talking about not only science, but how science is starting to catch up to spirituality. I mean, with just quantum uh, mechanics uh, and quantum physics, where they've just realized, oh, there's no space. We're all energy. There's like, if you go all the way down, there's nothing solid about us. Yeah. We, and that's something that's been talked about in Eastern philosophies
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for thousands what of years. What we're seeing now is, you know, Einstein, he hit the nail on the head. And we're just now starting to catch up to um, sort of prove, if you will, the things that he theorized about. And E equals MC square, right? Energy equals mass and, and velocity. Well, Energy, right? We are energetic beings, and what we think is mass actually is energy. So science is starting to catch up to what the philosophers and the mystics have been saying. So quantum physics and mystical practices are actually have a lot in common. (laughs)
0: Very, very much so, and it's starting to it's starting to really catch up. I mean, just over the last 50 years, the the scientific experimentation or uh, uh, on meditation. Alone, which is right. talked about for literally thousands of years, the benefits and what it does to you and all that stuff. Now it's actually they actually are plugging Buddhist monks up, and right. and 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 you know people of enlightened spirit to see what's inside their brain, and they're going, oh, oh, there's there's stuff going on in the brain of these kind of meditators that doesn't happen in the normal brain. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it, it but you start getting into into the weeds and all of this stuff it's really fascinating but science is i agree with you it has been elevated to that place but i think we're starting i think science has hit that that wall i mean quantum physics alone they just there hasn't been a breakthrough in quantum quantum physics in 30 years i think 40 years is pretty much we're all still 50 60 when it came up they're, the concepts a little bit of here and there but there hasn't been a big thing so they're running into a wall and now spirit is starting to show up and they're starting to like. Oh, let's let's see what this is and let's see what that is. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. But I love I love talking about this kind of stuff because it's all part of the evolution of of humanity as a, as a species and also as us individually. Um, mm-hmm. Now, it, it, please.
1: I was going to say what you were just saying reminded me of two things. One is the Heidenberg principle, mm-hmm. where the we now know that the observer has an effect on what is being observed. So the fact of our presence somewhere will actually change the on-the-ground reality of what is happening to the thing we're examining, which is a fascinating scientific idea, which takes us far afield. And then the other thing in terms of new developments, oh, how many years ago, maybe a decade or so ago, they found the, the boson right, mm-hmm. in quantum physics, and they called mm-hmm. it the God particle.
0: Yes, the God. Yes, exactly. It
1: explains and connects all the parts of the universe. I don't think they've quite parsed it all out yet. But Not yet. That's what they were calling it. They called it the boson uh, particles. They called the God particle. Explains um, how and why life on the universe exists, which is
0: as they think it is.
1: <laughs> right. It's, it's it's theoretical at the moment, but it was an interesting. Uh, Shorthand for what they were discovering it's, in the lab. It's God.
0: always it's always fascinating. No matter where we are in in time, uh, we have it all figured out. <laughs> the Greeks <laughs> had case. it, the Greeks had it. It's Zeus, guys. It's Zeus, it's good. <laughs> and the, the, the Egyptians, it's Ra, it's Ra. What are you talking about? It's constant throughout, you know, the ego of the man, of man in general, always thinks it has it figured out because it cannot be humble enough to understand it knows nothing. <laughs> of the makeup of this universe and slowly but surely things are it's fascinating even in my lifetime i've seen the awakening of of humanity in so many ways that things that did not exist when i was growing up or Mm -hmm. were looked on as weird are now commonplace even having this conversation 40 years ago i mean it must have been more difficult to even get people to wrap their heads around it (laughs) We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: To say nothing of having a platform like zoom on which to do it. Oh,
0: exactly. The technology you would have to be doing, you know, inside of a hotel somewhere with 20 people that show up or 50 people that show up who are truly interested in, as opposed to someone just kind of like scanning their life and like, Oh, this seems interesting. And, are opened and, ex- and exposed to this kind of information, which is the brilliance of the technology that we have now. And you and I are not in a room together; we're across the country from each other. Okay. So it's a, it, it's very powerful stuff that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to uh, in your first book, you you wrote about decoding the soul's wisdom.
1: Okay.
0: Can you dive into what that means and how how can we decode? the soul's wisdom. High. I'm assuming that's code for higher self, um, you know, more of a of spirit inside, or am I wrong on that?
1: Sure. No, you're not wrong. Um, if we attend to our dreams, we can, as Jung uses the phrase, unpack them at many levels of being. And among other things that I did is I applied a system of studying sacred text called the Pardes system that's is literally in Hebrew means the word orchard. And it's also an acronym um, for the four levels of ever deepening inquiry that we can use in exploring dreams that range from the sort of the surface storyline level to the hinted at level where we get our first associations to the deeper level where we sort of unpack deeper layers of metaphor and symbol association and the of the final layer the s in hebrew is the word sod which means secret in english and that's the level where we have um transpersonal connections through and from our dreams this is the level where we can dream not only for ourselves but we can dream for the world we can dream for other people we can connect with departed relatives we can connect with the spiritual realm, however you understand who and what that is for you, you can get these connections and visitations with Archangel Michael, or the Shekhinah, or Buddha, or whoever it is that has meaning for you in your life, and in doing so, connect with that deepest part of our self, that's part of spirit, that part of soul self, that lets us get in touch with what potentially is our calling? What is our mission here? And how can we do, get the understanding and perhaps the healing that we need in our own lives in order to be able to then take it out into the world, to be a blessing to the world, as we say. Um, so thinking about our soul's wisdom allows us to heal at these deepest layers of being and to find, if you will, our, our soul's calling. Um, When we're talking about the realm of nightmares, we know that one of the things that trauma often does is what's called Um, a soul-shattering experience. We've heard that phrase used a lot in people who've been through traumas. So when we have been through experiences in our life where it feels as if our soul has been shattered, or we feel as if our soul has left our body, or in shamanic work where they believe the soul actually can and does leave the body with traumatic events, our work then is to call our soul back home, to bring it back home, to reintegrate the fragmented parts of ourself to become whole again so that's part of what i might mean by decoding ourselves wisdom.
0: and you mentioned about following following uh, your mission finding your mission in life and it's a, it's a theme that i talk about constantly on this show because i feel so many of us are lost mm. Over the years and uh, trying to find why we're here, what we're here, we get caught up in the the quote unquote rat race of the West uh, Mm -hmm. in regards to, oh, I need new stuff, 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 Mm -hmm. more stuff, stuff, stuff. And you do things that makes you unhappy. And speaking to as many spiritual leaders and and masters that I've spoken to on this show, Mm -hmm. one common thing I've noticed is that one thing that they say is to follow things that make you happy. Joyful, mm-hmm. blissful. And things start to just open in that direction. And when you start going in the wrong direction, you start to becoming more discontent with the work you're doing. Blocks will start showing up in your life. Th- things don't tend to show up the way you want them to or doors start to come up in front of you. It's like something like when I started the show, doors were swinging wide open. Mm-hmm. where when I started my first shows, it was a lot harder to get the ball rolling because I still was trying to figure things out. It mm-hmm. you know, it took me years before I figured it all out, but I was happy doing it. And that was the difference where when you're chasing a dream, you have to ask yourself why you're chasing that dream. Why are you chasing it? Is it making you happy? If it is making you happy, then continue. You might have to struggle because that's right. part of life.
1: Right. But if
0: it's making you happy and you're getting enjoyment from it, Keep going. But it's when you start hitting that wall internally. That's when it's someone's trying to tell you, you got to kind of move over. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because of all your experience and work.
1: Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting because fulfilling your life purpose, or your life mission, you're right, doesn't necessarily mean it's easy and doesn't even necessarily mean it's fun all the time. But if you have a sense, I think that it's right and that it's true and that it's real for you and no one is being harmed in the process and there at least is enough time when you're happy when you're joyful doing it to balance the hard parts and you haven't hit a block where you're really unhappy more of the time (laughs) than you're happy then then you've probably found the place where your dreams have been leading if the block Is bigger and stronger, and you can't get past it, and you're unhappy or distressed more of the time. I I agree that that's a time to take a look at who am I? What am I doing here? What is my life purpose? What what is the contribution that I've been called to make to the world? And if it isn't yet clear, and, and all of us go through very many phases in our life as well. It's not always gonna be the same thing when we're in our 20s, when we're in our 30s, when we're in our 50s, and when we're in our 60s and beyond It's it can shift and change. But if we're unclear and if we're struggling with how do we get past that block or past that brick wall, that's where doing purposeful dream work, incubating dreams to ask these questions can be a great resource as well to help put us on track in the direction that we need to be going, where thing, the doors open, as you say, and and the brick walls just come tumbling down.
0: So that was going to be my next question. When you say dream uh, dream incubation, uh, excuse me, dream incubation, I, I'm saying it wrong, but you know what I mean. Um, the you ask a question before you go to bed, and and hopefully in the dreams or in while you're in while you're asleep, these answers do come to you where you wake up with like, ah, it's E equals MC square. Uh (laughs) Um, You know, so, and by the way, almost all great inventions and move movements forward in, in humanity have come from some sort of, I mean, Einstein said it. I mean, he, things came from a dream. I mean, I had uh, the big story of, of um, filmmaker James Cameron who did, avatar and titanic but his first films One of his first films was terminator he had that in a um 103 degree fever dream he he was literally shaking went to sleep had a dream about this skeleton metal skeleton guy coming out of the fire and he's like i'm writing that movie and terminator showed up Mm -hmm. but so these things do come through the dream so how can can you explain tips on how to actually do it Properly, without just going. Uh, so, what's the meaning of life? That's a little too broad. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, can okay. you can you help us with so, that?
1: Yeah. So, actually, the more specific you are about the question you're asking, the higher the likelihood that you'll get a dream that you understand, as opposed to a dream that's full of metaphor and symbol, and you have to spend a long time unpacking and figuring out. So, dream incubation has deep, deep history um, back in ancient times in Greece at the Temple of Asclepius. Um, People would come from all over the known world and they would have pilgrimages to get to the Temple of Asclepius in order to have healing dreams to help them solve their physical or mental or emotional or relational problems, whatever it was. So they'd come to the temple and they would have a a purification.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: And uh, cleansing, meet with the priest or the priestess, and then they would sleep at night, overnight in the temple. And the priest and priestesses would let loose these little greenish-yellow snakes would slither around at night and whisper in your ear a message from the divine. Mm -hmm. And then in the morning, you'd wake up with a dream, and you'd go to the priest and priestess, and they would help you understand uh, what the dream meant and what uh, you were supposed to do as a result of having had the dream in the sacred spot. So the good news is we do not have to have snakes anymore in order to get dream messages, unless Thank that's God. your thing, right? But um, the modern day updated version of incubating a dream—that's where the phrase comes from—is incubation is. Hold a question in your mind and spend a little time before you go to sleep at night journaling about it, doing some writing about it. Spend five minutes, spend a half an hour, spend an hour, spend as long as you want. Try to end your writing with as clear a question as you can because the clearer your question, the more direct your dream views will be in responding to it. Put your journal down next to your bed, you go to sleep, and as you wake up, either it's in the middle of the night or in the morning, as quickly as you can, but without moving much, because, you know, when you move, you jar the, the wisps and smoke of dreams, and you can lose it. So slowly roll over and grab your journal. Write down the dream you had on the same page as the question. And make sure you have a date as well so you can make the connection. Somewhere in your dreams is going to be the response to the question that you posed. This is the essence of dream incubation so you can chew on it you can think about it if it's not really clear you can do some more journaling about your dream you should can talk with other people about it and if you can't still figure it out do it again the next night say okay thank you very much we want to honor our dream use thank you very, very much for giving me this dream however i didn't really quite get it can you please be clearer about answering this question, or can you please give it to me like straight up without metaphor and symbol, because I didn't get it the first time. So can you give me like your dream with the plane, for example, Mm. that was metaphor and symbol, but but you got it. They didn't need someone to come. You didn't need the next night someone to come and hit you over the head and say, wake up and do this show because you got the message the first time. But if you hadn't and you asked for more clarification, you might've gotten a different dream coming
0: very so okay the
1: essence of dream incubation
0: so i am fascinated to ask you this question because i'm a, a a fairly heavy meditator sometimes i do every day a day an hour to two hours a day sometimes more depending on my day and to me it's a form of it, it's kind of like sleeping but not sleeping i'm i'm, a, I'm aware and i'm awake but a lot of the similar things that happen during the dream state happen mm-hmm. at these deep levels of meditation where you ask questions, answers appear, um, maybe you have visions, maybe you have images that pop into your head that you weren't thinking of come in. What is your experience with deep meditators and dream work, if you will, daydream work, if you will, if better for a better word?
1: That's a great way of putting it because we can dream when we're asleep and we can dream when we're awake as well. So, one of the ways I would answer that question is that there's a continuum of consciousness. And that continuum of consciousness can range from being fully, completely wide awake and doing very concrete left brain oriented things to being sound asleep and having REM state dreaming. In between, These two poles are a whole variety of levels of consciousness and awareness that are either closer to being wide awake or closer to being sound asleep and meditation is one of those in between liminal places where you kind of can access the best of both worlds and you do get images sensations uh, messages through in that state that you wouldn't have received had you been checking off your grocery list in the store uh, or setting up the recording studio for the next interview. So when we can be in a place where our physical bodies are quieter and more relaxed, and we can quiet our minds in whatever way we use to quiet our minds, we sort of I believe, and other people have spoken about this as well, we open the portal to be able to access these other states of consciousness, and it is the same value as the messages we get through from our dreams. It's it's the same value as a dream coming through, whether we were sound asleep or somewhere in the in-between zone. Um, Jung would call, you know, when you're just falling asleep at night and you're kind of not awake and not asleep and the same thing in the morning, that's the hypnopompic or the hypnagogic zone. So my advice to dreamers of of all types is value the messages that come through in these altered states of consciousness, whatever they are from, whether it's from meditating or from imbibing in some kind of a substance or that uh, drifting off to sleep state. Notice the messages you're getting, catch them, record them if you can, and then you can work with them just as you would work with a dream.
0: I was talking to a sleep expert the other day and it was a fascinating conversation because I, I told her about my sleep patterns that I didn't, I sleep, you know, I could sleep four hours, get up, have a full day of work, go to bed at 10, wake up the next morning at five, no problem. So I, my average is about five to six hours of sleep and I function normally, completely fine. Don't drag, don't drag, don't do this, none of that. And, but I told her, I'm like, but I'm a heavy meditator. I meditate an hour to two a day. And she's like, well, first there's two types of people. There's 50% of the population can benefit from naps. 50% cannot. Some people need nine hours just to get up and walk around. Other people can do it in two or three or four hours. You seem to be of that sense, but she's like, when I've done research and she's a Harvard professor who does sleep research, Mm -hmm. she said that when we study meditators, the processes that are happening in your brain and in your body, that's right, happen in your meditation. So you're kind of catching up to like the repair, the the repair that your body goes through, that your mind goes through the rest that it needs, kind of is you're doing it in your meditations as well. So you have a combination of like that. So I, I can meditate for a couple hours and I'm fully energized like for the rest of the day. So it's, it's, it's just, it was just an interesting, I don't know if you've heard that in your, in your studies as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. The, the way we regenerate and renew and repair is individual. So, you know, different people do need, and I, and I'm familiar with the people who need really eight to nine hours, you know, even adults, not just kids. Mm-hmm. And then there are those mm-hmm. like yourself. I'm always a little envious, you know, you can get by on four or five, but you, you make up for it in the right. day by meditating. So mm-hmm. you add that extra hour or two that other people are using for, for being in the farther end of the spectrum of aware of awake or asleep. You do it more in a liminal zone than in the sound of sleep zone. But it kind of for you at least, it's adding up to the same thing. You're getting a your six to seven hours. I mean, part of it is through meditation rather than being sound asleep,
0: right? And it seems to almost as well as that the hour of a meditation or two hours of meditation is a more intense rest moment than even sleep to from her studies and my, and my experience as well. That it, it's condensed, it,
1: it, it's, you know, it's con- really, yeah. It's that's really interesting because what that implies to me is that the purposefulness of your intention and creating the time and space in your life to meditate Mm -hmm. is value added. Mm -hmm. Then it's night. I'm all tired. I'm going to go to sleep. The purpose is to go to sleep. But when you meditate, the purpose is to calm, renew, relax, connect, it might be that that's the value added is your your intentionality around it. That's the, just a th- hypothesis. <laughs> no,
0: and that makes absolute sense because there is an absolute intention. I'm like, I want to go. For me, for me, it's very blissful to meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy sleeping. Don't get me wrong. I love sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can do. It. I'd love to do it every day. Um, but meditation is, is almost blissful in 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 its in its state. The way I do it, so mm-hmm. I'm actually always being pulled back to it. I'm always being like, you know, I'd rather be meditating than watching television or I'd rather be, mm-hmm. I, because it's just, it's almost a high and your brain. I've rewired my brain since I've been doing it now, five, six years at this point, at that level, that the brain is rewired to get those kind of joyful, I guess, endorphins or chemicals that are released during that process. So it's almost a, a healthy addiction, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: Oh, yeah. It's sort of stimulus response in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, not to boil it down simply to that, but you are absolutely, what you've done is you've created new neural pathways in your brain to counteract the old ones that you grew up with with all of us grew up with and you've made the new ones through your repetition and your dedication to a meditation practice you've created new neural pathways that are deeper maybe than some of the older ones so your system more easily drops into them now oh yeah you put more attention on it
0: yeah you I can go in deep within five or 10 minutes, I'm, 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 I go, I go in pretty deep. And then sometimes it takes me a little longer, a little less, but it, it, and again, it kind of all wraps around with our conversation of dream work because I'm doing a lot of dream work within the meditation practice as well as within um, and while I'm dreaming. Are you there, Linda? There you are. Lost you there for a second. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. So no, like I was saying is, I'm doing a lot of the dream work within my meditative practice okay. as okay. well as my, my dream, my sleep practice, if you will. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'm, but I'm, but they're different. Um, but yet they're the same in many ways. A lot of the, sim, they're very similar in many ways, but in other words, you don't have to go away for five or seven hours to do it. I can get there in 20 minutes and mm-hmm. start feeling. It. So that's a a skill that's really nice. <laughs>
1: But sometimes, I, yeah, I appreciate that, and it is a skill that's really, really nice. And I tend to there, there are sort of two types of people in terms of our boundaries in the world, right? There are thin boundary people and thick boundary people. And it sounds like, whether innately or by training, you have taught yourself to be a thin boundary person. So, you what is that drive. exactly? Um, the openness or lack thereof to experiencing altered state of altered states of consciousness altered states of knowing, alter the ways, alter alternative ways of connecting more or less easily.
0: Right. So, so it's in other words, that- uh, yes, like the garbage, like the, 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 let's say there's, there's jackets on top of us. There's lots of jackets and, and clothing and layers, and you're starting to let those layers go so you can get out much faster, if that makes any sense. <laughs>
1: That could be definitely one way of looking at it. Sometimes it has to do with kind of our hard wiring. So people who are computer scientists and people who are mathematicians and people who study geology may have a different kind of wiring because that's what they're interested in and oriented to rather than people who go into spiritual disciplines or spiritual practice or become psychotherapists or spiritual seekers. Artists, yes. So our our wiring already is a little bit different so we can train ourselves. Like I can learn to know a little more than I do about computers and math, but it doesn't come as easily to me as being able to sit in a guided meditation with some with say I'm with a group of people. And within a few seconds, I will have images, very, very beautiful, vivid images. And then when I share it with the group, they'll say, how did you get there in five minutes? And it's like, well, that's my superpower, but don't put me in front of, you know, a high-level math problem because that is not my superpower at all.
0: I was about to say, you don't want me doing your books, you don't want me doing any math for you. This is not where I am, but if in the artistic space and the spiritual space. I have more of my I'm I'm more comfortable there. That is a, and I love the word superpower because it is a superpower. Everyone has that thing. Right. You know, you know, my wife is more analytical. She does mm. the math, she does the books. She yeah. does how to, I, the GPS I'm like you tell me where to go. I don't even want to think. <laughs> about it. Just tell me where to go. I'll t- I'll turn left, I'll turn right wherever you tell me to. I it's just not the way I'm wired. Um right. but right. where but my superpower is where I am able to do things in the artistic realm and, and this kind of stuff that we're talking about, it is, it's, you know, everyone's got their thing. And if you can find that thing, life becomes Mm -hmm. a lot easier for you. I I, I feel, I feel once you find, I call it that secret sauce that nobody else has on the planet. Mm
1: -hmm. And once
0: you have it and understand what it is, and then you have the bravery to share it with the world.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's when things really change in your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if that you found that in your experience as well.
1: Yes, the short answer is yes. What, well, what I've been doing for a while is, you know when I first got into this field as a, a psychotherapist, I was working primarily with individuals and doing group work and working at organizations and then in a private practice. And then at a certain point in time, I started to teach and be out into the world more. And I was a professor at Boston University at the School of Social Work for 20 years. And then I also started teaching like continuing ed courses So I'm out there in the world more. And then at a certain point of time, I started writing and I'm writing articles and I'm writing, I wrote a workbook and then I wrote these two dream books because there was this sense that there is something that I'd like to share with the world, not just one person at a time, but I would like to be able for more people to hear the message because I think that it would be valuable and useful.
0: But also, I love what you just said in your story. There's an evolution there. there's an evolution and that's where people get caught up because they want everything, especially younger generations want things. Now, everything I want to be this, I want to be, it takes time. You got to evolve. I mean, I look at myself as a twin in my twenties and I'm an absolute knucklehead. I mean, a complete, (laughs) as most of us were in our Mm twenties, generally speaking men more so than women. Uh, (laughs)
1: but i'll have to agree with you there i mean
0: we're we're absolutely i mean there's there's a lot of uh, 40 year olds who are are still knuckleheads
1: (laughs) there's a lot of 80 year olds who are still knuckleheads of of all genders (laughs) of all
0: genders to say the least but there's a process to everything in our life and we have to give time to evolve and that's something for me that one of my biggest journeys was patience i think it is for a lot of people patience 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 until I finally just said, I don't think, I don't look at things as months. I go, okay, give this a year, give this two years. I I look at it a much broader strokes now because I've just realized, I'm like, it's not going to be a month. I'm not going to know anything about this show in a month. I will look at it in six months. We'll look at it in a year and we'll see where we're at and, and we adjust along, but there's an evolution. And even on, even on this show, there's been an evolution on, by myself and, and by what I, what I do on the show because of people like yourself, who I'm mm. talking and being exposed to, which is informing mm-hmm. me, I'm reading more books and different topics and things. So that's evolving me as a better, hopefully a better host, asking better mm. questions, helping the audience grow and learn in whatever field that we're discussing on the show.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's Beautiful. that.
0: <laughs> so Beautiful. I'm gonna ask you a few questions that I ask all of my guests. What is your mission in this life?
1: My mission, I can answer that in two ways. And it was an an evolution of a mission. Um, At one point, I realized my mission was to be the bridge between Western and non-Western ways of knowing and doing and being, and to help people uh, connect with both sides and, and the bridge in between. Um, So that was one recognition of of the bridge. And in my my work with people and in my private life, um, I incorporate meditative practices, somatic practices, spiritual practices, as well as cognitive behavioral, psychodynamic, the more traditional ways of working. So that was one. Mm -hmm. Did you want to say something? No, no. I just find that so
0: beautiful because you're mixing science and spirit. Yeah, together. And that is a beautiful, if you can find people who can do that, it talks to
1: mm-hmm.
0: both, the, both audiences. And that's yeah. what's wonderful about your work.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. There's a wonderful uh, song that says all the world is just a narrow bridge. It's so, translating it now from the Hebrew. Oh, this is, Rabbi, is this Rabbi Nachman, I think so. All the world is just a narrow bridge. And the main point for us is not to make ourselves afraid. So I sort of took that song as part of my mantra, if you will. So that was sort of part A of, of the mission. And then more recently, with the world becoming and, and going through the, the, the public as well as the private traumas that everyone's had, but you know, in the last bunch of years between the pandemic and climate change and violence and war and political change and upheaval, people are finding it hard to find a safe, comfortable place to be, to connect. So the new part of the mission in terms of my doing dream work was to really help people who are experiencing the traumatic events of their lives at night through their dreams to bring those, those two sides of my work and my practice together. Cause I've been a trauma therapist for you know over 40 years and I've been a dream worker for over 40 years. And so the latest book sort of marries those two things and bring them together to bring some healing through dream work to people who may be interested in need that. So those, I think would be the two sort of callings.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show what is your definition of a good life
1: that's a great question um i guess my definition of a good life is one that has connection with people and is filled with love that goes both ways that you give and receive it and you're able to receive and share joy in the world
0: and what is the ultimate purpose of life
1: <laughs> you're asking me the ultimate purpose of life
0: i mean i could i could ask it in my dreams but it won't come in so i'm just <laughs> gonna go
1: i'll just ask you <laughs> sure um i'm thinking I think the ultimate purpose of life is to share our light and to be able to be a blessing to help other people in the world. Um, That's a life well lived.
0: Uh, Fantastic answers to those questions, (laughs) my dear. And where can people find out more about you and your new book, uh, PTSD Dreams?
1: Thank you. So I have a personal website, Linda Yael Schiller, and that's L I N D A Y A E L S C H I L L E R, all one word.com. So you can read about my broad experience and what I do in the world. And specifically for the books, I have two dream books out, and the most recent one, PTSDreams.com. So PTSD, and then the word. The D is connected with dreams. So it's ptsdreams.com. There's a website there. And there's also a website for modern dreamwork.com. So either of those two websites will give you information about the books and how to connect with them.
0: Linda, thank you so much for not only coming on the show, but for the amazing work you've been doing over these years, helping people and trying to help people connect more with their dreams, helping them to deal with trauma, helping them get answers to their life of this confusing thing that we call life, trying to figure it out as we go along. But I appreciate everything you do. So thank you again for coming on the show, my dear.
1: You are very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on, Alex. It's been a pleasure.
0: I want to thank Linda so much for coming on the show and sharing her knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 145.